Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to meet the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. Hello, I'm Andrew, and this is episode nine. I'm also delighted to say hello and welcome to my guest, Graham Eason. Graham, could you let the listeners know what your connection is to the motoring world, please? Sure. Hi, Andrew. Um, I run a company called uh, Great Escape Cars um, in the Midlands, and um, well, we pretty much do everything around classic cars, really. So we hire them out, um, we provide them for filming, and um, we maintain them as well and fix them for customers. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the whole broad range. Ah, excellent. And that is um, how I met you, uh, was through that there wonderful Twitter. Yes. And uh, which um, I, I want to touch on later, but I, I um, which you seem to have embrace and enjoy sometimes. Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, very much. I mean, I, th- I think with Twitter, as you probably find it yourself, it's it's not so much because you're you're sort of trying to sell something; it's because you just enjoy interacting with other people who are interested in cars. That's really the key thing for it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Okay, we're going to start the show off by going back in the myths of time. And again, I still don't have any music for this. But um, to s- if you can remember when you first got interested in cars, and did anyone help that interest along? I um, apparently, um, this sounds really trite, but my first word was car. Um, I just <laughs> <laughs> used to lean out of my pram pointing at cars. Um, and my parents sort of, I suppose they kind of found something to shut me up, so they just kept buying me matchbox cars every day, literally every day. And that's really what got me going is kind of, I suppose, my toys were cars, so it kind of one thing fueled the other. Um, nobody else in my family was interested remotely in cars at all. Um, you know, they were just a four-wheeled thing. Um, so that didn't really encourage me. I suppose the only thing I would say, my dad had a lot of very odd cars that kind of, he didn't have Cortinas and Escorts, he had kind of Saabs and Renaults and Volvos and things like that, so it kind of slightly offbeat things, and that kept me interested because it kind of, you know, that they weren't, they weren't such run-of-the-mill things, really. Um, so did that, um, it, it, I, well, obviously the interest is carried on, but did that manifest itself in school or uh, anything like that? Were you, were you the, the kid in the back? scribbling in the in your exercise book and stuff like that or were you reading magazines or sadly i was yes (laughs) yeah i was i mean um yeah i mean from an early age i suppose to an embarrassingly late age whereas perhaps my sort of school friends were chasing after girls i was sort of going around with a friend of mine around um car dealerships trying to scrounge car brochures and that sort of became my weekends and time off it is hideously embarrassing but yeah that 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 really was it yeah it was cars were absolutely my thing so did you um I don't know. Did you go off to uni to do anything car related, or did you not go to uni? Or I, yeah, I, I I didn't. I I did go to university and I studied European history. Um, I, so I mean, I it wasn't really in my mind to ever do it that I thought I could ever do anything with cars because I wasn't mechanically minded. I wasn't really a scientist in terms of engineering and stuff like that. And I didn't want to go that route. I was interested in marketing, but I didn't really think I had the you know. This sort of is so much competition to get into car sector. I didn't think that was possible. I kind of thought that I might have a chance with writing, with journalism, um, and so I sort of 
did quite a lot in my spare time in terms of that uh, university wrote for this you know the the university newspaper things like that to just try and get a bit of experience um on that side of things but i realized how difficult that was going to be so um yeah i, I sort of yeah it, it it could have been but i kind of realized how hard that that mountain would be to climb so um you said marketing so was that the 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 career path then uh, following uni, it was. I, I mean, I, I just as well as cars, I love writing. So I got into, um, uh, I went to work for a PR agency and started out on that path because basically all I was doing in PR was just writing press releases, articles, and fantastic because I was just being paid to write, which I loved. Mm. And um, I decided I didn't really like the sort of PR world. It was all a bit vacuous, um, and so I moved broader into marketing. Um, and I just really loved it. And that's been probably um, when I set up Great Escape Cars, that was really the key skill um, to enable me to do it, really, is that I had had that experience in marketing and PR. That was really what, what gave me the confidence to kick the business off. And, and how long ago was it that you started Great Escapes? I started it at the end of 2006, um, pretty much as a hobby. Um, I, I kind of... I really didn't feel like I fitted into corporate life. I'd kind of climbed the ladder, but I, I just kind of didn't fit in. So I wanted something, a distraction for my weekends and evenings that wasn't work-related. So I thought I'd start a hobby business that kind of would give me a sort of creative outlet um, and never quite imagine what I was getting into when I did it, really. <laughs> um, and... So when you started, uh, did you have a fleet of cars, or how, how did how did it how did the side project or the the distraction, the creative distraction, um, how did that uh, manifest itself? Sure, I had I, I, I had one car when I started, uh, which is Alpha Spider, which I've still got. Um, but I wanted, I mean, part of my motivation. This is terrible. Is that I wanted to buy a Jensen Interceptor. Um, and I couldn't really justify it as something that would just sit in the garage at weekends because I just knew I'd never really use it. So I thought, hang on a minute, there's an opportunity here. Nobody's got one. Um, I was at that age, kind of late 30s, where I thought this is the car that people you know, would quite like to drive because um, it's a car I remembered from when I was a lot younger. And I thought, I wonder if that would work. And that, so I, it, wanting a Jensen was also a kind of motivation to set the business up, really. Um, so those sort of things came together. So I started out with two cars um, and then I had the problem of how do I grow it? Because I wasn't sat on a hundred grand's worth of funding to, to buy our fleet of cars. <laughs> and what happened is people started to approach me to hire out their cars. And that's really the kickstart that I needed, really. I kind of saw that I could actually scale the business through that model. And is that how the the part of the business runs now? Is it through uh, other people's cars coming to you and you uh, sort of doing all the all the work for it as it were um no not no what i did is i used um the the third party cars as a springboard because i knew that um i didn't really want to be beholden to third party people using their cars with all the risks that that implies and also you've sort of got another boss when you start to do that i knew yeah. that i needed i needed scale in order to generate cash and profit and then i used the, that money to invest in my own cars because I, I could also see that the cars i was hiring out were going up in value so that i was obviously making money for these owners and they were also making money on top of that with the appreciation of their cars so and i wanted a part of that so the idea was always that i would 
um, with all with the nicest intentions, shoulder them out and replace their cars with my own. Um, mm. I've, essentially, the fleet is now about 80% mine, and I still retain about 20% as the cars I've leased in, and I still do that because the people that I work with, those two or three people, are people that I've really got to know. I trust them. Their cars are good. We get on, and it sort of fills a gap for me. You know, E-types, particular high-value cars that I wouldn't necessarily want to go and shell out a hundred grand on. So mm. um, I've kept that element of it um, mainly because I, it works for me with the people that I deal with. Um, so, at what point did you start the blog um, element of Great Escapes? Because I've I've always when I've read the pieces you've done, I've always found them very well written and I've always found them entertaining. Um, so when did you, did that start from the very beginning or did you add that in later and go, well, actually I'm not writing now. So and this was part of the point. It's really kind of you to say that because I mean, sometimes when you write these blogs, you sort of feel like you're sort of shouting in the wind really, because you don't really know what the reaction is, but I really appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Um, cause I, I, I mean, I, you never quite know, you know, I just do it because I enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. Because we, we're, we're the same with the podcast. <laughs> Alan and I talk to each other and you'd have no idea <laughs> until someone gets on and then says, oh yeah, you, you, you know, we agree with you on that or enjoyed that or whatever. <laughs> you go, phew. <laughs> what yes, <laughs> quite. <laughs> no, I, it, the blog started really early on and it, it started precisely because um, I just enjoy writing and talking about cars and I kind of, you know, I was doing, I was running this business not because I wanted to become a multimillionaire, but because I'm just passionate about it. And that mm. blog side of it came out. And I, so it arose from that, but I also saw there was a sort of proper business need because you, it's fine to have a website, but you actually, particularly in kind of modern social media days, you need to engage with people. And the blog was yeah. my way of, of starting to do that. I wanted to sort of engage with people that were passionate about cars um, because eventually they might one day want to hire a car from me. Um, so there was a sort of slightly um, altruistic, you know, uh, element to it, really. But it really, I, I stuck at it because I love it, really. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, obviously, I mean, you're running a business, so, you know, everything is slightly, um, Yeah. I don't think tinged is the right word, but there is there is always that element to it because there has to be because, you know, at the end of the day, to make a business work, it has to make money. Otherwise, you know, it, it's a hobby or like you say, you know, in, in, unless you've got a massive amount of disposable income to to throw away <laughs> you know you the, these things have to be um planned and done in such a way that will help the business there may not always be uh, a return on investment uh, immediate and obvious but it, it if you can work on your plan and connect the connect the dots together to to make the whole uh, ecosystem of a business you know it's that sort of stuff isn't it definitely absolutely yeah I, th- I think i think if you're in a if you're lucky enough to to run a business that is something you're really passionate about that is a that is almost a guarantee of success because it's with a small business it's really the determination to get it from a to b it's not you know you can have a great idea but without that determination then you won't succeed and i think that determination comes from absolutely loving what you do um well certainly in my case yeah no i mean it is clear that that, that you do because um you, the hours that you put in so <laughs> <laughs> you mean you you were both on there early on in the morning and late at night we we're off sort of talking to each other <laughs> yes quite <laughs> 
yeah, it's just a bit in the middle. It's always a pain. Gets in, gets in the way of social media and communicating with people. <laughs> um, but talking of social media, when did you first get onto Twitter, and why did you do it? I, I was a bit of a late adopter to Twitter. I do. I kind of. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I do remember sending my first tweet and thinking, "Wow, I've." You know, I just sort of sit. I sent the tweet and sort of sat back and waiting for the world to kind of put, look up and listen. Of course, it's totally not like that at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was late to it, um, I, but um, I sort of I can't remember exactly when I got into it. I would say it's got to be around about sort of twenty ten something like that. And I, I I didn't get it first of all, and then I I quickly got it. It's basically a conversation. You know, you've it's it's about that engagement it's not about saying look at what i'm doing now um look at look at my new product come and buy this it's it's about engagement it's about you might do some of that selling stuff but it's a mostly a talking around the subject that you're involved in that that's kind of that that's what i discovered with it and i involved in facebook as well and linkedin and things like that but it's to be honest it's really twitter that's really captured my attention and the one that works the the, the, the best for us really mm, yeah because I, I will say that that um i think i started on twitter after you did actually so i'm i'm even later than you um but uh, yeah, exactly the same feeling that i got on there and it was like mm, what's this and then you realize it's a con if it's done well it's a conversation um and what you were saying then about the the promotional side of things that you you have to do. Um, I sometimes worry because we're Alan and I are quite new to promoting things that sometimes we we haven't worked out how to do it well. I mean, we haven't had negative comments or anything, but sometimes you worry. Oh, am I doing too much of the promotion? Am I not? You know, and and then it's what must um, you know everybody who does it well uh, must must worry about. Um, yeah, but you're um, you're an award winning. Uh, company, aren't you? When it yeah. comes to social media, got an award social media. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I take your point. I think, and I concerned about those things as well. But I think the key to it is to yeah. be yourself on Twitter. To you know, if you are enthusiastic about it, and you're not just in it because you want to sell stuff, I think that comes true. And I think mm. you know, I, I. I've spent various times over the years thought, right, I need a strategy for Twitter. I should really put this down on paper about what I'm trying to achieve and what my goals are and how many times I'm going to tweet. And I've never done it precisely because I just don't think it would work. I think it's got to come from the heart and you're pushing it because you love it, really. I mean, I think, I think you know, to be fair to you two guys, I think you do it really well. I mean, it's, it's the one I'm aware of. It's obvious there's passion in it. I think the other one I would say, I, I you know, it, as a really good example of, of Twitter is um, a sort of friend of mine on Twitter called Paul Woodford, who is classics driven and, and Paul Woodford, he, he is just passionate about cars and that really comes through. And he, he pushes what he's doing a lot, but he pushes it in a way that you think, yeah, I'm interested in that. I, I'm quite interested in finding about, out about that. I'll click on the link. So I think it just comes from the heart. I think if you try and all these companies saying they'll, make your social media profile fantastic i really wonder how they do it because you've got to be passionate about it and it's got to be that individual passion that comes across really yeah you've got you've got to know the subject i mean that's the thing that you mentioned paul there and um yeah i i obviously i follow him so i do see him on twitter and it's the way he writes his yeah his tweet is 
is done in a way, as you said, that you then go, oh, actually, I'd like to see you know, that film or hear about that thing or whatever. Uh, and I think that's the key is, is not, not just shouting, um, buy this, buy this, or, you know, look at this, look at this. It's, it, it is the conversation. Cause I, when people have, who aren't on Twitter have asked me about Twitter, I've always said how I feel about it is as though it, we're down the pub and you can hear all these conversations going yeah. on. And um, you may hear one as you go to the bar to buy a pint, and there's two two people chatting, and then you just chip in if they, you know if it's your local, and they start interacting with you, and then you go off on your merry ways, and that's just sort of the way I feel it is. It's now, um, although lately because of many world events, it's got quite shouty. But um, generally, if we're talking the car side of things, it, it's everyone seems to be quite friendly and open when you've got an opinion which i which i I've, which i which, which has meant why i stay on twitter yeah i think you're right it it doesn't have the it doesn't seem to carry the same baggage as you get with facebook you know there seem to be diff, not a different type of people, but it's much more instant and friendly in a way and i i think the thing that fascinates me about it obviously we wouldn't have communicated if we hadn't had Twitter and there's there's so many other people on Twitter that that post stuff and I think god I'd never know about you I'd never know about your passion if it wasn't for Twitter and then you you can engage them straight away and there's no need for formal introductions or any of that stuff you just say yeah I love what you've just done or yeah I I think this and and it as you say it's over in a second but you know no but and there's no baggage with it it's fantastic yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't have, be on doing a podcast. I wouldn't be having a chat with you. I wouldn't her, be chatting to the people I chat to on Twitter because, I mean, there's, I think of of the people I follow and follow me, there's two that live locally. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known that they were interested in it. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Right. I would like to take a slight change of tack now. I would like to ask you about your car history. Okay. <laughs> not not the business, we may get onto that in a minute, but your personal car history. What was when did you um first pass your test and and what was the first car you then drove got? <laughs> I, <laughs> I passed my test in uh, I think it was 87 that dates me and I passed it at the third attempt. <laughs> Um, I wasn't very good at sort of concentrating um, or sort of well taking taking orders. I think was a problem. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a theme developing yeah. here. <laughs> and um, I, I learned to drive in my parents' cars, which is a strange combination of a, a Mark One, uh, sorry, Mark Two Volks, Red Van Volkswagen Polo, and my dad had a 240 GL um, Volvo, big thing, and. Um, I learned to drive in the combination of those two. And I remember stalling my dad's Volvo at the bottom of a hill on a sharp bend. And he just sat there petrified as we waited in the middle of the road for this thing to get going again. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that got me going. Um, and then my, my first car was a, um, 10 year old, um, Vauxhall Viva, what they called a sport hatch. Um, it wasn't very sporting, but it did have a hatch. Um, and, uh, I took that, I had that, um, my first job sort of took me all over the place up to Scotland and stuff. Um, and I used that 
to go all over the place basically um yeah so it, it didn't have a heater and all those kind of stuff but yeah i have a fond memories of it. it it was i did all the usual stuff of you know lots of filler and you know trying to make it look good but it was really polishing um something that shouldn't be polished <laughs> <laughs> but you can cover them in glitter yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly yeah um then I, when I, so what did you move on to next? I had a, I then got a job in Birmingham, um, and I had, I was, um, my, I bought it, but my parents sort of shoved me into a one of my dad's ex company cars, which was a um, five door a Vauxhall Nova 1.3 in the beautiful um, green. Um, uh, non-metallic and uh, beige interior and when beige interior was beige i mean everything was beige beige steering wheel beige dashboard beige carpets beige seats everything oh, no. but it wasn't really a car to fall in love with i have to be honest <laughs> quite quick <laughs> um and then after that i basically went from there and had company cars um i had a 205 xs um and then i went basically into sort of succession of fords as i kind of took on different jobs and moved up the ladder. So I had Ford Sierra, Ford Mon- a lot of Ford Mondeos, um, and then Audis, and then um, a Saab. So the, the thing with those company cars was a very little choice. It, was, it wasn't it was a company that that gave you free range. You basically had a, mm. depending on where you were, where you had a Ford of a particular spec. And if you then got beyond to a certain level, you had an Audi of a particular spec. And that's where I got to. And I that's kind of what fueled my interest in classic cars really because i was just driving euro boxes all the time and i wanted something that was interesting so um i bought myself an alpha sud and um i'd always want that was the car literally the car i'd always wanted um so i bought myself one of those in the 90s um, and that's what kicked me off with classic cars well that that is a particularly nice car to to kick it off with the one i had wasn't particularly nice but yeah it got me started yeah okay the dream dream, (laughs) (laughs) i suppose since i've had my own business i don't know it's interesting i've really been into this thing called banganomics um Mm. um, i've just had a succession of um pretty cheap cars um but sort of things like saab 95s usually which which i just run until they fall apart um and that's really worked for me because i i I live close to home i don't tend to drive much if i drive a long distance i've got a car you know one of the fleet cars i can use um so i I just have something that i kind of run around in um and it's it's worked really well i'm a massive enthusiast for bangonomics yes i saw you you tweeted something in the last week didn't you about um about your was it a nine five estate? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my current current banger. So yeah, it's a uh, X Reg um, Saab nine five three liter uh, turbo. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic thing. It, it's just it, it's not great on fuel though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite. Um, okay, if if I can move back to the company uh, a bit and and your business. So you've um, you've adopted Twitter. You write. You you're getting engagement. Um, when when did you uh, open up to other forms of media? Because do you have you? Or oh, when I last saw you, there was you had um, uh, there's a young chap that's doing filming for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that still happening? Is that still something you're pursuing? Yeah, we um, 
the sort of YouTube in particular is something I really want to drive at the moment um, because it we started I started using YouTube for the workshop so um, on the workshop side what I kind of what I realized is it's very difficult to um, and get if you if you if you have a classic car to restore basically what you need is some reassurance that the people that you choose to to repair your car are trustworthy and experienced and know what they're doing and that's quite a difficult thing to do with something like a website or even with twitter because it's very it's quite static um, yeah. so what i realized with the videos is it would be we could create a video diary effectively of some of the restorations we've done which would show from start to finish exactly what we've done so if you're interested in having your car restored in mark 2 jaguar you'd be able to go on youtube and look at what we'd already done um which is you know it's all there in in pictures and and film you know you can't disguise the fact that you know what you're doing so that's why i got into youtube um and that has worked really well we we the workshop stuff that's come through has come through that route um the other thing i wanted to do is is start to move um the social media conversation um into real life so you know we've met um through the, the media days that we've done uh, and we also set up this thing called cars and coffee which we run every quarter uh, and yep. that we only use social media to get people along to that we get 300 cars a time um we raise money for charity and it's just a way of getting bringing those classic car enthusiasts to my business and we in the process give them a coffee bacon butties those kind of things but in the process they get greater awareness of what we're doing and they can see what we can do and whether that's you know hiring out a classic car going on a road trip or repairing a car it just shows what we can do and and that's, that's why i did it and i it, i suppose it's the cars and coffee thing kind of fits with my ethos really it's not just about selling it's about bringing people together because i love to see all these cars really um and it's great to meet the people because there, there's so many enthusiasts out there that you just don't know about you know because they're hiding away in their garages yeah yeah well i mean if if you can't get to the motor show make the motor show come to you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well that is the other thing i did did try to to go to like you know classic car show as an exhibitor it cost so much money and it, it just didn't you know the number of people we got was just peanuts compared to what it was costing so I thought, well, let's bring people to me and that's that's mm. done yeah yeah you control the again without sounding too marketing or corporate but you control the message yes yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah because you you've you've created the the vibe and the feeling of it and people come along because i know alan's been to a couple and he really enjoys um pitching up uh and seeing the 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 vast variety as well it's not as though uh it is only people with classic minis turn up or anything you you get the whole gambit of cars i mean i know that you you do themes but you know so many different vehicles do turn up and it's and it's great that so much is raised for charity as well yeah it, it, that's the it's the it's the breadth of it that's amazing about it i mean yeah he he's been along with his um his beast and that that's that's what one scale and then you've got these lowered um you know volkswagen golfs at the other end you know it's it's, it's that's what's great about it yeah you can get to see the enthusiasm of the of of everybody who likes cars and that that's Again, I mean, I, I keep harping back to Twitter because that's that's where I sit social media wise. I don't I don't have Facebook or anything like that. So um, Twitter is it. So and and that's the thing I love is that, that there is such a vast uh, breadth of uh, interest, and it isn't generally very um, us and them. 
no. people are quite accepting and and because they understand somebody's enthusiastic and i think that's that's well on the people i follow and and chat to anyway yeah <laughs> i i think that's right i've never i can't think i think of any instances of being trolled on twitter um and you know you uh, people generally don't go on there to, sh- to show how much they know. They they just want to share enthusiasm, really. And um, I think whereas Facebook tends does definitely tend to be a bit different. You tend to get a bit more trolling on there. Um, so yeah, that's why I do definitely prefer. It. I mean, Facebook we've got to be on there because it, it works in a certain way. But Twitter is really the one yeah. where which is where my heart is. Well, you mentioned there that you've you've got your uh, workshop. Um, why did you decide? to open a workshop the, the um i didn't i didn't want to do it i would say that up front and i <laughs> I, I am the least mechanically minded person um out classic out there really i know it's not my thing um but when you run a classic car hire business you need to you need to have that side of 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 the operation so i when i first started out i was very very heavily reliant on local suppliers local uh, garages and um it was quite obvious i was green to it um you know they i didn't necessarily get ripped off but i didn't get favorable treatment um and mm. as the as the business grew i became more and more reliant on them but their attitude to me didn't change um to me that they i didn't have any leverage with them um they weren't particularly you know what i'm trying to describe is these businesses were not very customer focused um so my object my very clear objective was not particularly bothered about the price as long as it's reasonable my key thing is is turnaround time and reliability that went so when you fix it the first time I don't have to come back again and have it fixed a second time. And I just found that yeah. wasn't happening. Um, cars weren't being repaired on time. Or promises weren't being met and they weren't being fixed first time. You know, they were, it wasn't, I wasn't getting what I wanted and it wasn't, I wouldn't restrict my search to small number of garages. This is pretty common, common thing. And I, so basically I, I had to start my own workshop because I couldn't get what I wanted out there. So I, I set up a workshop, worked, you know, had a lot of sort of stumbled starts to it, um, but basically began to realize how I needed it to work, the, the getting the right person in place, which we've got now in the form of a, um, my fellow director, Julian. Um, and he shares my passion. And that's really what's driven it forward because we love classic cars. We want to get it right. And that's been key so the the workshop side started off solely servicing solving a problem for the hire side which is basically turning around cars quickly so they could get them back out on hire and avoid letting people down and then i started to think hang on a minute i've invested in this facility um i bet there's an opportunity for me to use this more widely because there must be other people like me fed up with um the sort of service they're getting from classic a lot of classic car company hire workshops sorry i'm not remotely suggesting they're all like this because they're not all like that but certainly there are too many like that um for me to feel comfortable um using outside suppliers if that so it hurts your business um so workshops and really the next step really was to think hang on we could offer this to somebody else and that's really where i started from in terms of moving the workshop forward and then i started to think actually the workshop side of things could really be a significant part of this this operation and that's where i went from there and um again it's something i'm passionate about the the problem with the workshop side has been moving it from just one person and then finding 
other pe- other staff members who have the right set of skills and the right attitude to enable us to do what we want to do. Because so many modern cars, so many uh, mechanics now are plug and play. You know, modern cars don't need yep. welding. You know, uh, you know those kind of things. It's mostly just electrics. So it's quite hard to find people with the right skills. So what I we decided I decided to do is is recruit and train apprentices. So we have one right. fully qualified you know, time served um, workshop manager in Julian. And then the other people working in the workshop are um, uh, apprentices who've come through the business and two of them are now qualified and another one's on the verge of being qualified in a year. That that to me has been really effective and really uh, successful way of doing it because we've got really engaged employees who really enjoy what they do and they have exactly the skills we need. So, yeah, sorry, long answer to a short question. No, 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 but it, it is interesting because um, it's well. We find because we run our own business as well, so uh, finding people is one of the hardest things of a business. Um, okay, you've got to go out and find customers or clients. You've got to get your work out in front of people, but finding r- the right fit um, for your business and your company is so hard. Um, and and I think it's it's really interesting you going down the apprentice route. I think that's a that's a great thing. Um, that is. So so how many people work with Great Escapes now? Then? Well, we we have just gone through a sort of change process, really. But you you are absolutely right. Finding people the, the right people is really difficult, and it's not just the skills, but it's the the attitude and the mindset that that's really the been the challenge. But um, we um, have seven full-time staff now, and we have uh, five or six people on part-time contracts who do driving, etc., etc. So um, they come in as and when. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's where we're at now. I'm looking to recruit in the new year probably one or two more people, particularly to sort of um, uh, strengthen the sort of system side of things. Because yeah. um, when I've uh been lucky enough to attend the uh, media days i must say that everybody involved is very good at dealing with the customer which is um which is a difficult thing to get because it's it, it relatively and i'm doing air quotes and i'll hurt myself later for doing air quotes sorry everyone um but it's easy to find someone who can do a technical thing say you know wield a spanner or something like that but then to be able to deal with people in a in a likable friendly way is it's not always easy to find that combination i think you've done a um a, a great job uh, of getting a, a really good team together there that um that all sort of exude this enthusiasm as you, what you were saying before it's this enthusiasm for cars and enthusiasm for wanting people to enjoy the cars and the day or the experience so that that's i mean you 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 deserve a pat on the back for getting that right. That's really kind of you. I mean, that that is genuinely important to me, the customer side of it, because, of, you know, I've sort of said it's I'm not doing this because I want to be a millionaire. I'm doing it because I enjoy it and I want to share that. Um, and I, I think I'd like to think you're right. I think that the that, that enthusiasm is shared by the people that work here, the people that have um, stayed here are the people that share that enthusiasm, really. I mean, we... We deal with obviously a lot of the general public, and they can vary in terms of their approach to classic cars and their tolerance for the idiosyncrasies of classic cars. So you need a bit of a thick skin sometimes, and you need to be able to smile through it. And I'd I'd like to think we've got there, um, but yeah, it, it, it's the passion. People here love what they do, and um, 
um, that's that, that's great for me. That's what I think a working life should be like. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't been on uh, one of your events or one of your days, what do they typically entail? The, well, the we we've got two things now. We've got these new thing we've called classic taster days. Um, but the main the the um, experiences that you're referring to are our what we call our road trips. So um, these started out as corporate events, really. So we used to run, we, we still do run a lot of corporate events for clients where they, you know. Uh, they bring along guests and they drive we take them out on a drive and they drive four or five cars and i thought that we could develop that idea for private customers um so how the format really is very simple it's you drive five cars in one day so we put on the cars we provide a route um we follow the route there's changeover points during the route um and it lasts a whole day we put on lunch breakfast all those kind of things so the price that you pay includes everything and it is uh, how it's evolved is it's it used to be purely for car enthusiasts but we've evolved it to make it much more couple friendly so you get a pass you can have passenger places so you have you know husbands and wives come along and also we, we've got mates that come along as well and the great thing i quite like is the lads and dads so you have a you know mm. of all ages really so you have a 10 year old lad sit, sat next to his dad you know, doing the map reading while his dad's driving. That's such a great thing to see because they just love it. And then at the other yeah. end of the scale, you've got a sort of middle-aged chap with his, his 70-year-old dad out on a drive. And I, I just love to see that. I think that's fantastic. Um, but that's the format of it. Um, and the idea was with classic car hire, not everybody wants to drive one car for 24 hours. Some people, yeah. myself included, want to just drive as many cars as they can and sort of knock them off the pit list. <laughs> and an hour in, and an hour in one of those cars is often just enough to do that. You know, you and that's 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 how that that works really. And I find with the road trips, the 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 um, you know, I think I said something on Twitter the other day that the first hour in the car is probably 90% of the experience. Um, the rest of it is just sort of finessing that, really. And that's why the road trips work, I think. And the, mm. the, the, the other part of it is the camaraderie that arises from those days, really, because people really do. It's great to see the sort of socialising that goes on, really. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy doing them, and um, we really love doing them here. So we've broadened them out for next year with a lot more routes and themes. Well, talking of the routes, how long does it take you to work a route out for one of these days? It's probably, I would say, about a week's work. Um, the uh, we uh, plan it out on a. Um, I plan it. Well, I do them all myself. I plan them out on a computer, so I look at um what i think would make a good and interesting route i then drive it and then when i drive it i amend it as i go along um so you know there's certain things that we want to make easier so you know if i know that a turn's not well signposted or a turn's dangerous or difficult to make then obviously we make adjustments there so that all gets done um and then it's after that's been finalized it's it's desktop stuff of recreating the route um using google maps um google photographs that kind of thing and then turning that into a paper route now we we might be using introducing sat navs next year for the routes but mostly they're paper routes because that seems to give people the engagement between driver and passenger that people enjoy really whereas a sat nav takes some of that away um, people like the fact that they're spinning through a, a sort of route route book and looking at a road map and sort of a bit old school really 
So I, I wouldn't want to lose that element of it. Yeah, no, I mean, that really gives the uh, the full feeling of the classic car driving. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Anal- you, you can, you can it's, it's easy sometimes to, for, to forget what the drive is because you're listening to the, the sat-nav or keep glancing at where the arrow's pointing. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've always uh, thoroughly enjoyed the, the, the route the paper route side of things is, and, um, and I think I've only got lost once, but that was, uh, user error rather than what you had in the, uh, <laughs> in the folder. <laughs> well, I, I do very occasionally when we do a new route, occasionally get it wrong. So I do have some sort of autistic element of kind of, uh, if that's the right word, I, I have a problem with left and right. So sometimes I put in a left turn and it should be a right turn. And, um, although I test them out, um, you know, and check them. There's always something slips through, so um, it's all for everyone's amusement, basically. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've you've mentioned your fleet um, now. Can can we? Can you list what you have now, and then I want to ask you about things you've had. Okay, uh, if that's okay. So, what what have you got on fleet at the moment? Well, we've just had a bit of a trim down and there's a reason for that is the the workshop was has historically been far too busy maintaining the cars on the hire fleet and in order to create more space for the backlog of work we've got through customers we decided to sort of trim it down a bit and where i've done that in the past because at one point i had 60 cars it doesn't actually affect the volume of hires because people just shit switch to the cars we've got so we've gone through that process so for next year we've got about 25 cars um and they're all um sort of what i would describe as pretty um familiar classics so e-types mark ii jaguars xjs mgb um jensen um alpha spider mini morris's um ford capri audi quattro um though that's that's the range of cars we've got and that that to get to where we are now which i think is the best um range of cars that we have actually ever had that's taken a lot of finessing a lot of finessing um and you sort of mentioned their sort of blind alleys and and mistakes um that what we have now is a con is is the result of that process basically 10 years of of getting it wrong um and sort of getting eventually getting it right it looks on the outside and i have asked you this before but it looks on the outside it should be dead easy to pick surefire winners that people are going to forget the, the the quality of the car and maybe the mechanical foibles but in just selecting right these cars guaranteed to be continually out all the time because people will just be rushing over them um so from what you're saying there then it, it wasn't it hasn't been <laughs> that easy to predict no it hasn't i mean i haven't helped myself by having a slightly left field approach in the early days i mean we've we have exchanged quite a lot of um uh twitter commentary about the my porsche 928 experience um that that was <laughs> that's probably right up there as a, a mistake number one um but yeah i didn't help myself by going a bit left field because of the success of the jensen made me think hang on a minute maybe there are lots more cars out there that i love or that could be popular so i made a lot of mistakes with that but there are cars that have definitely gone through that I can't understand why they weren't more popular. I mean, I had a, a Peugeot 205 GTI, Volkswagen Golf GTI Mark 1, 
both of them just sat in the unit gathering dust. Um, you know, the, particularly the golf. I, I find that I struggle That's to understand. That's very that. surprising. Yeah, it, um, and uh, there's, I, I can't. I mean, there's so many cars I've gone through, um, but I mean TVRs as well. Um, they sat around. Um, you'd expect there's quite a lot of TVRs. The Tuscan, the Chimera. You'd expect those to be popular. They weren't. Um, it's it's really hard to, to sort of put your finger on why it is Corvette as well. Um, the, the only thing I can come to the conclusion of is that a lot of that my customers are, are, are lots of different people. The enthusiasts, the car nuts, are only one part of that equation, yeah. and that actually a lot of the hires are to people who just want a classic car. Um, they might have narrowed that choice of classic car down to a few different options, but they're not in love with the particular classic car they choose. They just want a weekend away and something a bit different. And mm. when you sort of present them with something like a TVR that maybe some people haven't heard of or a Porsche 928 that isn't a 911, you know, you, you're that's where you hit the hurdle. So it, it's got to be cars that have a really broad appeal, um, particularly to people right across the spectrum from diehard car nuts who always want to drive an E-Type, to people at the other end who just want a nice wedding car. You know, you, you've mm. got to have something that works across all of those and works in all weathers as well. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, now, that's interesting, yeah, because I, I hadn't – I mean, I, I appreciated that, uh, that us car nuts are a, a, a tiny smidgen of the, uh, of the niche, um, but that um, – yeah, I mean, obviously, people will turn up and they go, "Oh, I want, I just want a classic car. What do I think of? Yeah. You know, I'll probably think of a Mark II or an MGB or, you know, something like that." So, yeah, okay, I, I, I can see the sense in that. So, um, were there any? Uh, have you had anything or bought anything for the fleet that you were surprised was successful? Um, uh, I'm trying to think back now. Yeah, I mean, we bought, we had an XKR on the fleet the sort of first generation supercharged XKH shape. Um, I was surprised how well that went um, because to me, that's more of a modern classic and it's wasn't a particularly expensive car. And, you know, what we had to hire it out at, I thought, well, you know, that I was surprised at that, but that, that was really popular. Um, We only took it off just because the one we had, blew a head gasket and I haven't replaced it, but it probably would be a car I'd replace. Um, I, I'm struggling. I don't know why I'm struggling um, because, of course, the cars we've got are there. The, some cars have taken a bit of a time to get going. The Ford Capri, um, that wasn't popular and is now massively, massively popular. And I would say I'm surprised at that, how quickly that's changed. Basically, I don't know whether that's a sort of 40-year itch really you know people hit the 40s get kids grow up get a bit of money you know and then you want you're happy to hire it or think about buying one uh, and that car is right at that point now and the same with the quattro um yeah that there's i those those ones have surprised me definitely how about the allegro the allegro yeah the allegro definitely surprised me as well i i <laughs> i would get another allegro i i'm going to stake my Oh, wow. staking the ground now and said get another leg because it was such fun i don't think any car that we've had has raised so many smiles people just laughed from the minute they got it to the minute they finished in it um it, it was fantastic on rallies like the one you went on because you just people just 
you know, like, an, you know, people want to drive an E-Type, but they also want to drive an Allegro. You know, quite frankly, you know, it's it's the same thing if you're into cars, you know. I've driven, you know, you just want to know what it was like. Yeah, I mean, there, there is that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm glad I've done it uh, <laughs> from the point of view that I have experienced it. Uh, but as you say, an hour was enough for me personally. It's a bit like bungee jumping, isn't it? I suppose you kind of, you know, you don't really want to do it. You're kind of exhilarated when you have, but you wouldn't do it again. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that that was also a surprise. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> So, um, what, what, uh, with Great Escapes, as much as you can reveal, what are plans for the future? What, what do you, what, how do you, would, in an ideal world, would you see it in five years' time? I, I, um, yeah, the, the, there's two things, two sort of, two straight, three main sides of business. We do the TV stuff, the workshop, and the higher side. Of course, sorry, I haven't mentioned the TV stuff. Could you uh, explain to um, the listeners um, how you're involved? Because I do, I'll, I'll flick it on in the afternoons just to see, oh, I've been in that one. I'll grab the kids and <laughs> stuff, I'll make them go, your dad's driven that one, you know. It is quite weird, yes. Yeah. It, it, we supply, we are, we, um, we've done, we do a lot of different TV and film stuff. Um, so we get a lot of odd requests at different times. Um, to supply cars. So from the, you know, at right now, our Morris Minor is out on a video to raise awareness of Alzheimer's. Um, you know, so those, those things come in. Uh, that's happening all the time. But we are sort of bigger thing that most people are aware of is we do all the cars for antiques road trip and celebrity antiques road trip. Um, and uh, that that involves sourcing cars from owners um, to meet the, the requirements of the program. So they might say, well, we want a DeLorean or a, a Lamborghini Miura. Um, so we go out and find them um, and then provide them for the filming. So we so we source the car and then we we manage the, the supply of the car for the program. So we attend, we stay with it during filming. And it's quite a complicated um, project to do because the logistics are um, very complicated. So we could have a crew um up in Inverness and at the same time we've got a crew in Lands End in Cornwall and we need to manage all of that. So and that can be all going on at the same time as you're hiring out cars and fixing cars. So that that's that side of it. But in terms of the business growth, how uh, it's really around the, the higher side and the workshop side. And then with the higher side in particular, my objective is really that I see the growth being around how people engage with using the cars. So traditional classic car hire was a bit like enterprise car hire where you picked up on Monday at five o'clock and brought it back at five o'clock on the final day. That's the model. I don't see things being like that. I see things being more like our road trips, the classic taster days where you come along and drive the car of your dreams for an hour or so, hand back the keys and off you go. That's, I want it to be much more flexible um, than simply hiring a car for two days or 24 hours. I, I think that's where it is. And that because by doing that, you bring the price down and that makes it much more accessible to many more people. Um, that's yeah. on the higher side. That's where the opportunity is. On the workshop side, um, really, that's a case of growing what we do around our specialism. So we do everything from servicing to restoration, but we want to concentrate particularly on MGs and Jaguars because we've got so much work experience with those cars. Um, so the workshop side, I will certainly see that growing and taking on more apprentices to, to support that. Right. I would like to move on now to the section of the quick fire questions. Now, this is the bit where I 
uh, ask the question, you answer, and then I do not comment and move on to the next question. <laughs> Otherwise, because I'm very conscious of this is uh, during your working day, and I don't want to take up all your working day <laughs> chatting to me on Fine, Skype. Right. Is, is this my opportunity to say that I hate the Porsche 928 and you can't reply? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I'll just be sobbing quietly in the corner. <laughs> right, so I'll start with the first one, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? I, I, I love the fact that TV seems to have picked up on classic cars and the history of motoring in a way it hadn't really done before. So you've got programs like For the Love of Cars. You've got, I think, the cars that made Britain great. Um, there's just lots of stuff, and the classic car TV show. There's just lots of stuff happening around classic cars um, in the sort of more general media that that wasn't happening before. And I think that that's great that that conversation is happening, that people who that classic cars enthusiasts aren't just seen as people who wear sort of flat caps and um, cravats, you know, there's so much more to it. it it's there's such a passion about uh, this, this um, sector, this culture, if you like, that, that really is starting to be shown really. I, I think that's fantastic. You know, there's so many people out there that love cars and in so many different ways. And I love that. So what currently worries you about the motoring world? I am seriously worried about the conversations that are going on around the rollback of the MOT. Um, we've seen the MOT pulled back from cars pre-1960, and there's a discussion at the moment. Um, the government is allegedly consulting with the general public about rolling it back to cars um, of uh, over 30 years old. Um, I think that is horrendously scary um what's driving it is money um because the government and the european union don't want to um develop the mot to cover um every car they want to restrict it to more modern cars because that's cheaper um and i think that's just that's that's a recipe for a disaster i'm i'm frightened genuinely frightened by some of the um groups that allegedly represent us among M mps because their argument is um, in favour of this um, is that um, classic car owners are fastidious, um, and you could, but you can be the most fastidious classic car owner in the world. But if you don't have a ramp um, and you don't have a checklist, then you can't possibly check whether your car is safe or not. It, it's just an absolute nonsense. Mm, now I said I wouldn't comment, but on this one I will. Um, on the Motion Podcast, uh, we have um, passed on the um, information because you are connected with a. Um, is campaign the right word? Yeah. Uh, campaign about this. Um, and again, I'll put it in today's show notes um, just to remind everyone. But we thoroughly agree with you on this uh, and think it's uh, just crazy to to roll it back. Um, so, you know, uh, more power to your elbow and keep going on that one. And hopefully hopefully you'll be heard. But I hope so. My, my worry is it's going to be swept under the carpet again because... Um, some of the people that seem to represent us, and I'm going out on a limb here, um, just seem to be going with this, the, the the status quo with the government's proposal, and that that just frightens me. Okay, uh, moving on now. What has been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, I'm going to have to say my Alpha Sud. Um, there are better cars to drive out there. Um, there's better looking cars, better handling cars, but nothing gives me the thrill of that car. Um, I just really enjoy driving it. It's just something about it. Um, my, I've got a Saab 900 Turbo. Um, that is a close second. 
Um, but the the Alpha Sud really is right up there. It's just a brilliant car. Um, it is flawed, um, and you know, it, it, Peugeot 205 can run rings around it. But it's kind of the fact that it is flawed is kind of what I quite like about it. it. Just has a bit more character. Okay. So, what has been your least favourite car to drive, not own, to drive, and why? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to have to say the Rover SD1 uh, Vitesse that I had for a while. Um, the it it should it had the makings of of such brilliance, rear wheel drive, pretty basic, powerful, great engine, but the driving position was just absolutely horrendous. It was horrendous. It's like sitting on a bar stool trying to drive a car. Just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and had a gearbox from hell. It was like stirring cold porridge oh, dear. well i'm going to add a question in here um then just just for you and just now what has been your least favorite car to own and why Is it, oh i wonder um it's going to be the porsche 928 um because because you're fed up of living on one kidney <laughs> yeah yeah i i uh, yeah exactly i it's one of those cars that you know their values have gone up now so they're probably slightly different prospect but you you can never buy a cheap porsche you can never buy a cheap um supercar and that taught me that lesson you know i paid five grand for it spent well more than that i'm um, keeping it on the road for 12 months um it just taught me that you know what you pay for a car is just the start of the journey go into it with your eyes open um and i didn't you know and it's not necessarily entirely the fault of the porsche 928 but i learned a lot of lessons with that um the other thing i didn't like about it is the fact that it it was not entertaining to drive it, it did too much for you you know you it went round corners you just had to turn the wheel and he didn't i didn't really feel like i was engaged with it. It, it it felt too germanic in that respect so was it more of a grand tourer type car then yeah yeah i didn't expect a porsche to be like that you know i expected a bit more engagement uh, right now we'll get back to the questions i do have <laughs> um what car would you like to own next i have uh, I have a real hankering for a first, sorry, a, um, I don't know what the model reference is, but an Audi RS6 is Avant, the the um, sort of early noughties version, um, sort of 52 plate. Um, I, I used to have an Audi A6 and I loved that. It's built like a tank um, and I, I just really fancy an RS6. I like fast estates um, and that's going to be the sort of ultimate fast estate. What is your favourite road to drive on? I there's a road that we use on the Welsh Triangle. I'm not doing this as a promo, but I picked out because I like it, um, and that's why it's on the Welsh Triangle. But a road we use in the Welsh Triangle that goes from Abergavenny to um, uh, Ross on Wye. I can't remember the name of it. Um, it goes past, a, I think it's Skenfrith Castle, um, and that road is just an absolute joy. It's it's winding. It's pretty quiet. Um, it's got great scenery. Got a mix of um, straights and uh, you know slow sections. It's just great, and it's one of those roads that that you have to concentrate on all the time, um, you know, to get the best out of it. It's not a road that you can just sort of you know sit back for a couple of miles and then wait for the next twisty bit. It's 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 about ten fifteen miles of just proper full on motoring. Uh, what is the most pointless optional extra you've experienced <laughs> oh god um uh well, i hadn't quite prepared for this question um on any car do you mean um yeah any car any car um 
I, w- I love it, but it is completely pointless. And it's the vented seats on my Saab 9.5. So my Saab's got heated seats and vented seats. And it is pretty pointless, but it, I just love it for the fact that it is pointless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, we're on to the last question now here. And uh, who do you think uh, I should talk to after you? I think, if you haven't done this already, talk to Paul Woodford. Um, no, I haven't. You haven't. I would recommend that. I, um, he, uh, uh, he, he has got the, he shares the passion. Um, he's a great bloke. Um, he's doing all of this because he's, because he loves cars and that's where he's going to. And I think, I think he'd definitely be worth a chat. Yeah. He's on the list, but it's good to know that I'm in the right area with my list. Um, so we're we're, we're come wrapping up to the end now. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or have a look at what uh, Great Escapes does and all that, what would be the best places to do that? Um, I guess because we start, we've been talking about it, and that's how we met. It would be Twitter, which is we are classic cars hire on on Twitter. Um, that'd be the place to find us because we tweet links to everything we do on there. I mean, the website is greatescapecars.co.uk, but the dynamic stuff that's changing every day is on Twitter, and I would. I think that's where I would start, yeah, because um, that's that's our hub, if you like. Okay, great. I'll, I'll make sure that they're in the show notes. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on here um, and divulging your your past and why you started and what you um, why you do it. Um, it's been really interesting to find that out. Thank you very much for that. No, no problem. It's great to talk to you, Andrew, and, and nice to catch up. And hopefully. Um, we can get together again either at Cars and Coffee or one of these media days because um, yeah, we always have a good chat. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks very much, and I'll speak to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks once again to Graham for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you found that as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone who you think we should talk to on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out the sister show, which is The Motoring Podcast. I'd like to thank Ryman and Igo Gummy for their wonderfully kind ratings and reviews. It really makes a difference to me, and it does help others find the show. So if you could please go and leave us a rating and review, that would be brilliant. So until next time, that was Graham Eason. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.